Hello and welcome to episode two of Behind the Job. I'm Scott Salter and today we've got another great episode lined up for you. Now last week we spoke to Helen Tanton. Helen's a research fellow at the Dana-Farber Institute in Boston. She was doing great work researching cancer and she provides some great insight into anyone considering postdoctorate and PhD uh, level qualifications. This week we've got another great guest. We're speaking to Dan Benzi. Now, Dan is the lead software developer at a startup called Housey. He provides some great insight for students into his own unconventional route to being a software developer, the tips and tricks and, and what you can expect going into that industry, and also some great insight into when he's building his team, when he's hiring fresh grads, junior developers, what he's looking out for, the challenges you might face, encoding challenges and stuff like that. Great episode, great insight that I'm sure you'll find really useful if you're looking to go into that industry. Enjoy it. I'm really excited today to be joined by Daniel Benzi, who's the lead software developer at Housey. Hi, Dan, how are you? Hi, Scott. Good, thanks. Yourself? Yes, not too bad, thank you. Dan, for those who who don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself, your story today, and, and what you do at Housey. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I had quite a non-traditional route into software development. I didn't do a computer science degree. Um, and I actually didn't even do computer sciences at A-levels or anything similar. I was working a job that I didn't really like in insurance and had always been interested in computers. And uh, I saw, I happened to see a job for a junior developer um, at a local web agency called Ten Yetis. Yeah. Uh, it's actually where I met you, Scott. It is, yeah. Uh, we go back. A long time ago. Um, and that was when I was around 20 and I just uh, applied for the job not really with much optimism that I would get it um, but the the guy that was hiring for the for the position uh, Andy and Ross they were both super friendly and ended up taking a taking a chance with me um, so I just learned a lot uh, on the job a lot of reading um, YouTube videos and everything after after hours uh, to get to sort of the level that was required there um, and I, I stayed with sorry no go on I know, I was, I was going to say, I stayed with uh, Tanyetis for like seven years nearly. Um, the only reason I left was because I was going to go traveling. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I came back and applied for a job as a as sort of a, a middleweight software developer for Heise, a startup in London, um, trying to solve like the property rental problem. Um, I was working for them for around six months when I got asked to be the lead developer there, really. Um, yeah. And you, you, you said you took a slightly... Um an orthodox route into into software development. Reflecting back now, how do you think it that's benefited you maybe as opposed to maybe going to university or or like if you had gone to university the benefits of that? Um I guess there are there there are positives and negatives. I'm I'm twenty eight and I obviously have a lot more um job experience than most people my age when applying for jobs. Typically if you've done software engineering you might not have started university until you were you know 19 or 20 or something yeah um you've got a three-year course and maybe you're traveling or something afterwards you might not start actually working in a in a in a job until you're 24 25 um obviously by that time i'd already had five years actual real life work experience uh working alongside other developers in an office um environment um on the flip side of that I've had to work a lot harder um, over the years learning uh, software sort of engineering principles. Um, the things that you were taught at university, um, I've had to teach myself. So there, there, are, there are positives and negatives, really. And I guess you had to learn in a live environment almost because obviously working at, at Ten Yetis, you were working 
on clients or with clients. So, you know, university, maybe you, you would have had more room for mistakes and errors. Yeah, exactly. Um, luckily, um, obviously with Tenietis, it was more an agency. So the software engineering um, principles weren't necessarily as stringent there um, just cause of, because of the kind of work you produce. Yeah. But definitely I had to learn on the job and I also had to take my personal time to learn. So, um, yeah, there are positives and negatives, really. And talk us through what, what does a day look like in the life of Dan Menzi at Housie and, and the difference maybe, obviously, when we work together at an agency, you're working on clients, mainly on websites. And how does that differ to, you know, being in a startup environment that's trying to solve this, this problem within, you know, like you said, estate agents? Yeah, so, um, I mean, basically a typical day, I still do a lot of programming. I'd say 75% of my time is still, you know, uh, writing code. Um, as lead developer, I make most of the architecture decisions here, so deciding on the technology that we use and how we, we sort of implement the solutions. Um, I have to lead the team, obviously, now, so that includes, like, one-to-ones, um, you know, uh, giving feedback where appropriate, Yeah. distribution of workload and sort of the management of our resources, um, also sort of in charge of the hiring and the, the sort of the resources that we need. So, if, okay. you know, how, how many new developers do we need to manage if we're going to hit these targets? Um, but I, I would still say, which is completely a good thing, that most of, most of my time spent writing code. Um, and the way we operate at Hiasy is is probably the way that a lot of a lot of startups and a lot of businesses operate. We have a ticketing system we use, um, Jira, and you can see sort of the tickets that need to be done and that need to be worked on. And yeah, I would just just like the rest of the team, um, unless I'm working on something specific, I would just pick the, the highest priority and start working on that. And what would you say the biggest challenges you face as a software developer? Um, biggest challenges? Um, it's probably for me now um, building a team for the developers with like a similar mindset. Um, you've you've got to, you've got to be committed to the project um, as well as just software engineering. Um, you've got to be passionate, I suppose, about the work that you produce. Uh, unfortunately, you come across some developers in my time that don't necessarily care about the the quality of the code they're writing more just whether it works or not yeah um, which is fine when you work for a smaller company but when you're working alongside like 10 15 20 other developers it's not going to scale if, if nobody can understand the code that you write and, okay. and primarily software development's about communication so you're not just writing the code for yourself to see if it works you're, you're writing it for somebody that might be working on it uh, 12 months down the line they need to be able to understand what it's doing um, you need to be clear with your intent and I guess in a startup environment, you talked about um, getting developers that will buy into the same you know, ethos and what you're working towards. In a startup environment where you are trying to solve this issue, um, that, that's particularly important. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's great to find other people that are passionate. Um, I'm sure if you've rented a house before, which I, I think you will have done, Scott, although you own now, right? Yes, um, yeah. I've, I've yeah. been a renter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Landlords are not the easiest people to deal with oftentimes. Um, not to say there aren't good ones out there, but... I think we've all been through like contacting a letting agency, receiving no response, uh, you know, difficulty getting our deposit back, uh, just the little things like that. So it is nice if we can find developers that also um, have had the same struggles. And, and oftentimes with most people in London, renting's a bit of a nightmare here. So they always have. And what would your advice be to, to sort of current students who are looking to, to you know, get, go on their own journey within coding or development what would your advice be for them um the first piece is to, to prioritize sort of good software 
engineering principles over learning like one language because it's easy once you've got the basics down it's actually easy to learn other languages okay um it will come very easily to you um but it's the hard part is really the the, the principles and design patterns also i would say there's a bit of a misunderstanding about the typical software engineer in that they can work um solo on their own with little communication with everybody else and actually that might work if you're working in uh, in a very big company or a very small company where you don't work alongside other people so much but actually if you want to sort of progress in your software career it's very important that you can communicate with other people in the business um the other developers and also the product team um it's, it's really important the the notion of the secluded like software engineer just you know headphones in not talking to anybody it doesn't really translate if you wanna if you wanna go far in the field. It's it's not how you'll get ahead. And would you advise? I mean, one of the things obviously we work together, but but I always like don't always notice you doing. I suppose was working on on side projects. There might be fun things, but I remember you doing things like the the Beard Olympics and notifying stuff like that. And is that a really good thing for for young software developers to be you know working on kind of side projects to develop their own skills? Yeah, absolutely. The, the best way to learn is to by doing so. Um, if you can pick things that you're interested in and build a project based on it, then yeah, do it. Um, not only will you learn lots, you might you know end up making some money or, or you might even build a product that becomes your job. Um, I know other, other developers that have, have done just that. Um, we had developers here that have gone off to build uh, on products that they've built in their spare time and it's ended up actually being their primary source of income. So... And yeah, the, yeah. the world of sort of tech and, and digital and development is one that's obviously always evolving. Is How do you stay sort of ahead of the, the curve and, and how important is that? I'm guessing, um, you know, you could be working on something and then something new comes out that changes the way that, that you, you do it or the, what you've done. Yeah, it happens all of the time. Um, it's, it's always moving forward. Really, you've got to keep moving you can't remain stagnant because if you do then you might find that next time you're applying for a job your skills in the market aren't really relevant anymore and you'll find it difficult to find a job somewhere um the best way to do it is really just to spare your personal time to do research um we've got uh sort of uh we give time here to employees to research things um to do with tech and uh, it's one of the benefits of working here. And, and all they have to do in return is to give a little presentation on what they've learned. So it doesn't necessarily have to be related to directly to what we do at Housie. Although obviously as we're developers, it has to be tech related. Um, but as long as you after like two weeks, you can go away and uh, come back and do a presentation on what you've learned. Um, yeah, so so a lot of companies do, do give you the opportunity to do that. You can also attend conferences. Um, there are lots, in, especially in London, and I'm sure almost every big city around the world. There are conferences and talks put on at Google Campus and, and places like it. And also learning from learning from your peers, whether they're more junior or senior than you. Um, most Mostly everybody's got something to teach. Great. And, and you mentioned that part of your role is obviously building your sort of dev team. And, and if you were going to hire a, a fresh graduate to join the team, what kind of skills or personality traits or experience would you be looking for? Um... Most importantly, oh, one sec, wait, I've got stuff. Sorry, Scott. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to ask again or should I just start again? Uh, yeah, I'll ask again. So you mentioned obviously part of your role is is building the development team at, at Housie. And if you were going to hire a fresh graduate to join that team, what kind of skills, personality traits or experience would you be looking for? 
Okay, yeah, um, we, we have had graduates for, for junior developer roles actually straight out of university um, quite recently. But most importantly, I guess, um, make sure that your CV is current up to date. Um, it lists all of the skills that you do have. And just as important, it doesn't list any skills that you don't have. Because as I mentioned earlier, software engineering principles uh, and basics are much more important than the languages that you know. If, if you're a graduate coming out of university and you've put, I don't know, 20 different languages on your CV, and you don't, and you haven't actually mastered them all. It's going to be very easy for us to find out at the interview stage. It's better to list two or three that you know really well, because as I said, languages can be learned easily. Um, most of the time, any company you apply for, especially startup or, or tech-wise, they're going to send you a code challenge. It's really important to make sure that your code challenge is good. Um, make sure the code's well factored. Make sure you've got testing where appropriate. Um, because this is actually what I look at the most, uh, more than the CV, um, definitely. Um, if your code challenge is bad, your chances of getting an interview are, are pretty much zero. Um, because I've seen the work that you'll be sort of producing for us, yeah. and I can tell that it won't be good. So, you know. They don't make, they don't um, make it through that stage if it's not good. Yeah, absolutely not, no. And I, I, I imagine, well, speaking with other lead devs, that it's, it's the same pretty much everywhere. Um if you're sent the code challenge, really, you know, they, they, they should never take more than two or three hours, but, but but make sure that, you know, you do spend the time appropriate on them. And yeah, make sure that it's, it's reflective of your best work, because this is ultimately what you're going to be judged on um, before you get through to the next stage. And, and I guess within, you know, coding and, and development, the, there isn't that much room for error or to, you know, learning on the, on the job to an extent, but in that environment, you know, a, a wrong code or, you know, mistakes could really sort of derail a project or, or be costly? Well, we, we've obviously got um, this testing and stuff in place to stop it. It's more, um, it, for a junior role, obviously, we expect there to be some learning on the job, but it's more just, um, I guess, caring about the work you produce. So when we receive a code challenge, it's really, the, the challenge itself is very basic. Um, we're really just looking if you can take a set of instructions and translate it into into some code. So there really isn't, there shouldn't be too many errors in it or, or, or any errors at all, really. And it really is just about making sure that you're passionate about the work you produce. Um, yeah, that's that's basically it. Because there will be on-the-job learning, of course. And there is there is scope for error because when you're working with us, because we have automated testing and things like that. So if you were to submit a piece of work that didn't pass our unit testing, it would never get pushed to production and therefore never affect the customer. Okay. And Dan, obviously, you mentioned that your route was unorthodox and that you didn't go to, to university to, you know, get where you were. But if you were going to give one final piece of advice to, you know, development and, and computer software students of today to make sure they're future-proofing their CV and their skills and, and to get on a career ladder in, in development, what would your advice be? Um, first piece is just to, to get out there and write code. Um, one thing I haven't touched upon is contributing to open source. Um, there's a lot of open source projects out there on GitHub that require um, people helping. Um, you should have an active GitHub account where I can see that you are contributing to these projects um, or, or even just writing your own code. It's great when I get an application from somebody and they've linked their GitHub account um, and I can see that they are you know, writing code regularly. Even if it's for university projects, I'm not going to judge the code that's in there, but it's just really good to see somebody that is you know, actually writing code all of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, you can do that via contributing to open source or just building your own side projects. Um, yeah, that's that's one major thing I would say. Um, and also just 
putting yourself out there, there's plenty of plenty of jobs in London um, for software engineering. And don't sort of limit yourself by the languages that you've already learned at university. If you're applying for a junior role um, and you've got good software engineering um, sort of basics, don't be put off because they're asking for a language that you don't necessarily know very well because you could learn it very quickly. Um, I've taken on developers here that don't write in the primary language that we use um, in junior roles. Um, I've taken them on um, because I can see that they've got good software engineering basics and they've actually submitted their code challenge in a language that we don't even use here. But I, I mean, I can read the code and, and it looks good. So, and they've made it through because of their soft skills and uh, because they applied. So, I would say don't be put off by things like that. Great, that's really good advice. And Dan, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. And I'm hopefully this this will be useful to obviously development and computer software students that are looking to get into the career. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, and and if uh, you're looking, guys are looking for a job, and you see from from C1 from Heisey, just uh, message me or something. Yeah, perfect. Cheers, Dan. No worries. Cheers, Scott. I hope you enjoyed episode two of Behind the Job. Thanks very much to Dan for joining us this week. Dan gave us some really great insight into life as a developer, his unconventional journey, but also as a student, if you're going for an entry-level job within the tech or development industries, what can you expect? He provided great insight into what he's looking for when he's hiring junior developers to join his team, and I'm sure you'll agree it was really useful. We've got another great guest lined up next week, so make sure you join us for that and have a great weekend.